Carson. No, I don't. I'm just kidding. All right, so uh, we started talking yesterday with Matt Harris. He's a colleague of mine. He works at our sister station, Mix 107.9, co-host of the Matt and Ramona Show, but also co-host of a podcast called Impact of Influence. But the judge apparently called everybody back in for the lunch at 2.15. And so Matt cannot join us because they got you got to get in. And I totally understand. He sent me a text message. Uh, he said that they, they broke uh, apparently a little bit earlier for lunch today. And so that means they're coming back early, and that means you got to be ready to get into the courtroom early, uh, and uh, you got to give up your phone. You no phones in the courtroom. I said, I told, I look, I remember, I was covering court trials when people first started bringing the cell phones in, and judges were then having to start uh, making rules because at first it was different. Like some. Like sometimes you could be in there. I remember I had uh, one time I had the remember the old Nextel phones. Beep 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 beep. We would all communicate with each other, and I would send. You could send like the codes, and so I told them, you know, I, I was going to send a one if guilty, two if not guilty, and you could text. You could send them because it was all new technology. They eventually, I mean, very quickly they were like getting rid of all of the cell phones and p- throwing people out uh, of the courtroom. Now I think uh, like in the federal building they always used to like take them from you. You have to put him in a locker or something. So, uh, what all of that is to say that Matt Harris has been our—he's uh, been our guy down uh, in the courthouse in Colleton County, South Carolina, covering the Alex Murdoch trial, uh, which is now second week, I believe. And um, I mean, people like oh, day whatever. Like I don't—I I don't keep track of the days like that. I don't have to, so I don't. But um, from whence uh, or since we last spoke about. The trial, we've had some developments. All right. So we had yesterday afternoon and then into this morning, there was a fellow by the name of Jeff Croft, senior special agent Jeff Croft. And he has been testifying. He did a lot of the uh, interviewing and investigation when it comes to the um, when it comes to the firearms. Now, there's, there's something I noticed that was going on here is that they keep calling this AR-15 a, a 300 blackout. But it's my understanding that that is the ammo, 300 AC blackout, something or other. But it's, but it's an AR-15 firearm. Now, unless I'm mistaken, because I've, look, I've done a bunch of different searches and they always seem to come up the same, which is, that the 300 blackout is the kind of ammo that is used in the AR-15 platform. It is a kind of ammo, right? There are other types of ammo that you can use. This is one of them. But everybody is now taken to calling this 300 blackout. And I wonder if there's a reason for this. I wonder if they keep saying the blackout versus an AR. I don't know. And if so, why? I'm not saying I I'm not saying that's going on. I don't know. I'm just throwing this out there. Is there a reason why they keep referring to the firearm as the blackout? Are they is the prosecution because now even the defense is doing it. The defense attorneys are saying are calling it the blackout. And I wonder if they're trying to conflate in the minds of everybody the ammo with the gun. Because they don't have the actual murder weapons, right? They were never recovered. They have an AR-15 that is identical to the murder weapon that was found on the premises afterwards, but they 
don't have the actual murder weapon. They showed the identical AR in the courtroom. They held it up and they said this was taken from the house. It's identical. And the defense objected, saying that's not evidence of anything. That's not the murder weapon. The judge allowed it. Defense was mad. But are they trying to are they trying to to put it in everyone's minds that the ammo is the gun? The gun is the ammo. So when you find the ammo at the at the murder scene and you find the ammo in their uh, gun room, therefore he did it, right? Is that the idea? I don't know. So that's uh, th- that was one thing, and that's what this uh, South Carolina Law Enforcement Division SLED Senior Special Agent Jeff Croft was brought in to talk about. Uh, he, he also was with Alex Murdoch uh, the evening of, I believe he came in the evening of, but he interviewed Murdoch like three different times. And uh, he he was part of the investigation, so they had a lot of questions for him, and obviously it lasted you know from yesterday into um, into today. Now this afternoon they started with the Verizon Wireless people, and they started talking with them. And there, a lot of this is boring. I've noticed that people are on the comment section on the YouTube feeds and stuff, and they're like, "Oh, it's so boring." But you have to use these people, these experts, you have to use them in order to get into evidence the stuff that you want to argue, right? You need the Verizon people to come in and explain to Dick Harputley and the defense attorney who apparently has no idea what words mean. When the Verizon guy is telling him that, like, M, there are codes that they use, mobile origination, and then mobile transfer or termination, right? Like, the, these are codes that they're using to indicate... I'm on the network, the phone has been answered, the call has been terminated, and he's going through it and he couldn't follow it, which raises the question for me. Like, first off, you're not doing a good job of conveying a sense of understanding of the technology. So when it comes time to have to argue that the timeline doesn't show what the prosecutors are saying it's showing, you might now have raised some questions about whether you understand what you're talking about because you obviously don't understand what the Verizon guy is telling you. And then I wonder, well, why is Harpootlian the one asking these questions if he obviously can't get a grapple on what the terms mean? So I do wonder about that. I do wonder about that. They talked about how there were other shell casings at the shooting shed because they had a uh, so they had a range. So they had dog kennels, right, because they would take the dogs with them out hunting. They had uh, this old converted hangar because it was an old air strip. Uh, grass airstrip. So they had this this building that was like a hangar um, that is being used as a shed. Uh, and then they have a shooting range where there was like this shooting shed or something, the shooting building, the shoot building, whatever, down at the end, where you could they had a little table set up. They had a prop set up where you could you know rest the barrel of the rifle. You could put it on that holder and you could rest your elbow on the table and that sort of thing. And then they were, you know, shoot down rage. They had a berm. And the defense was pointing out, hey, you didn't take up any shell casings from that berm, from downrange. You should have taken up those casings, but you didn't. They did not search the berm. There were hundreds of shell casings down there, and they apparently did not run any ballistics on any of that. They also pointed out that Alex Murdoch uh, consented to all of the searches, consented to all of the interviews, allowed them access into the phones so they could, they could download the information. One thing that came out in the in the uh, examination of other shotguns on premise at the house. Again, the shotgun, there were two weapons used in the murders. One was a shotgun. One was the AR with the blackout. 
uh, ammo, and the both guns were missing, but there was another shotgun, apparently of a similar kind, in the house, in the gun room. And that gun also, that shotgun also had mixed caliber cartridges in it. Why is this important? Because the defense has argued that the shotgun that Alex Murdoch brought down when, when he arrived on the scene, found the dead bodies, he says he ran up to the, he's on the phone with 911, he's like, I'm going up to the house because I don't know if whoever did this is still here. So he runs up to the house and he gets another shotgun and he comes back down. That's when Sled shows up. They take possession of that shotgun and they find there's different caliber gauge uh, uh, shells inside the, um, uh, inside the shotgun. And the defense has indicated that that was indicative of Murdoch's mindset. He was so out of it, right? He was so distraught that he loaded the shotgun with improper shells. But what the sled agent testified to was they found other shotguns that were also loaded incorrectly like that up there, which means apparently they were doing this all the time. Who, I don't know who was doing it, but apparently nobody knew. 12 or 16-gauge shells go in the <laughs> specific shotgun or whatever. They also kept asking the defense did about a Faraday bag. You know what a Faraday bag is? It's like a Faraday cage. You put your electronics in it, and it disperses essentially EMP. It, it prevents hacking. So, like, if you're going into a skiff, I mean, unless, of course, you're like, you know, Joe Biden or... I guess Donald Trump or Mike Pence or like anybody else. If you go into a secure location and you're going to look at confidential uh, top secret documents, you have to put your stuff into a, like a Faraday cage. You got to leave it outside and it's all impenetrable by electromagnetic waves and such. And that prevents it from being hacked or anybody stealing data out of it or whatever. And so apparently SLED has Faraday bags where they will, they'll throw the phone into a Faraday bag to prevent it from being hacked. And the defense kept asking about this, and I was wondering, why are they asking about this? Well, apparently SLED never put the phones of the victims that were recovered, they never put them in Faraday bags. But then finally the prosecution on redirect said, did you put them into airplane mode? And the SLED agent said, said yes. Which should achieve the same outcome, that they could not be, that they were not hackable at that point. They turned them on airplane mode, and so that checks that box. Um, also, one thing to keep in no, uh, to keep in mind about the blackout ammo, this was during COVID when the murders occurred, and apparently this ammo was very, very difficult to get. But that is, that is apparently the preferred ammo of the Murdochs, and uh, it was difficult to get. It was not a popular ammo at that time because it was so difficult to get. They had tons of it. Now I don't know. Maybe they had stockpiled it. I don't know. But that's. Obviously, the prosecution is going to try to argue that uh, that this makes it unique to them, makes it less likely that somebody else just happened to have the exact same ammo firing with an exact same kind of gun that they kept at their house as well. Talk 1110-993-WBT. Another day of testimony in the Alex Murdoch murder trial down in South Carolina, accused of murdering his wife, Maggie, and their youngest son, Paul. Um, yesterday and today, 
SLED Special Agent Jeff Croft was on the stand, and Jeff Croft was there with uh, uh, with one of the lawyers that was representing Murdoch, as well as uh, another investigator. They were in a car because I believe it started raining the night of the murders, um, and so which obviously created problems with evidence collection. But also, um, they got in the car, and so there's a there was a camera running, and what Croft said is that. Um, He's always recording these conversations, but he never tells the people that he is. So there's this recording that he he made of the initial interview with Alex Murdoch. And in this interview, he said he heard Murdoch say. Well, hang on. I don't want to hang on. I'm not going to I'm not going to influence you. I'll just play it. And you tell me what you think he says. And, and you definitely saw a traumatic picture, and uh, and I know it's not hard, or not not easy. I know it's hard. Uh, and sitting here talking today is is tough. It's just so bad. I did it so bad. When you asked the defendant about the traumatic picture that he saw. Paul and Maggie, what did he say? It's just so bad. I did him so bad. I did him so bad. Yes, sir. All right. So is that what you heard him say? It's just so bad. I did him so bad. I'm going to play just that part again. And listen. It's just so bad. I did him so bad. One more time. It's just so bad. I did him so bad. That's what you hear? All right. So this is the big debate going. What did you hear? Bernie, did you hear it? Is that what you heard on the audio? Yeah. So Bernie hears. Put on your headset, Bernie. Hang on. Put on the headset and listen. See, he can't trust Bernie. He's <laughs> Although, because he was doing something else. He never says. You ready? Okay, here we go. Headset. Listen to this. Uh, the last time I'm going to play it, I swear. It was just so bad. I did it so bad. Okay, so Bernie hears, I did it so bad. Chris hears, they did him so bad. Okay, so I lied. I'm going to play it again. So is it I did it so bad or they did it so bad? And by the way, after this, we're going to get into is the dress white or blue. Ready? Here we go. It was just so bad. They did it so bad. Oh, Bernie flipped. There you go. Bernie now has flipped. You're now saying they. They did him so bad. It was just so bad. They did him so bad. They did him so bad. And you heard the sled agent say what he heard in the car during that interview was, I did him so bad. And he stuck by that. Even when the defense on cross-examination, they played this audio and then they slowed it down. They slowed it down to 30%. And I got to tell you, when they slowed it down, I think it becomes really clear he's saying they. But that sled agent did not change his story. He said, I still hear I. Okay. And then the the defense attorney said, so you're, but you agree it's going to be up to the jury to determine what they hear. And he said, absolutely. It's their call. I heard I. So, So for me, this is now... This is not relevant. If I'm on that jury, this doesn't matter anymore. 
because there are probably people on the jury that are going to have a different interpretation of what they just heard, right? So how do you determine whether or not he said I or they? If half the jurors or, you know, three out of the 12, whatever. If a bunch of them say, I heard I, and the other one say, I heard they, you're not going to be able to to conclude anything out of that, so you just have to ignore it. So I'm not sure that was the win that the prosecution thought it might be for them, but I don't know. There's something else going on here, though. So this uh, sled agent, Croft, uh, he was um, he was the firearms guy, right? He's a firearms expert, and he's talking about how there were firearms left all over the, the place. He was asked about this by the defense attorney. Uh, there are firearms everywhere. The defense made uh, uh, made mention of it during the opening arguments. There was ammo all over the place. Spent casings all over the place. It's everywhere. And so what the the defense is using this, I suspect, I don't know, but this is what I suspect, is that the defense is looking to build this theory of the case around the idea that the guns were everywhere Somebody, they probably had the shotgun and the AR just laying around. Somebody got on the property, grabbed the guns, and used them against Maggie and Paul. Because the guns then disappeared. The guns were not on the property. I think that's part of the idea here is that there were guns everywhere. They, they, and so anybody could have just waltzed onto the property, murdered them, and took, uh, and took the guns. And by the way, that would be the story that... If Alex Murdoch did kill them himself, that's the story he was obviously trying to tell, right? So that's that's part of it. That's why, that's why the car got, quote, stolen and then left like half a mile away. And the phones were, you know, thrown, uh, one of the phones was thrown, uh, you know, uh, off to on the side of the road. So that's the first thing. The second thing, though, is that if you're laying out this theory that anybody could have gone on, on the property, this a second shooter, there could have been two people there that anybody could have gotten out on the property and found some of these guns just laying around, used them, took them with them. They are also throwing out this argument or this theory that Paul is a is an utterly irresponsible gun owner. That his dad bought the gun, which, by the way, dad buying the guns for his sons, like, I'm wondering, are, is, are those straw purchases? Anyway, I, whatever. But... Dad bought the guns for his two sons, and Paul lost his. That's the story. Paul lost his AR-15. And so they replaced it. Mom and Dad replaced that gun, and that's the one that was used to kill him. But the gun is missing. And so what the defense seems to be indicating is that Paul would just leave everything everywhere. They were talking about how, oh, he left... His shoes and, and shirts, he would, like, he would travel all over the state. Like, I'm unclear if Paul actually had a job or was in school or like, doing anything. He had an apartment in Columbia, and he's just constantly going to Charleston with his buddies and all over the state. And whenever he would go anywhere, he's so absent-minded, he would just leave stuff everywhere. And so he didn't have, like, he would show up at, at his buddy's house, and look at that. He's got a bunch of clothes there from the last time he was here because he would just leave his stuff. And he would leave his guns everywhere. Oh, you know, whatever. It's just like a shirt. Okay, so if that's the theory, if Paul's just leaving guns everywhere, so you want us to believe that somebody else showed up at the property with an AR-15 and happened to be using the exact same ammo as Paul and 
Alex and Buster. That's like that was their preferred ammo on site, their preferred guns on site. And someone happened to show up with the exact same gun that Paul lost for the second time. And if so, isn't that at odds with the idea that the guns were just laying all around and somebody just could have picked it up and shot him? See, that all, but all the defense needs to do is, is throw something up against the wall, call it the spaghetti defense, throw something against the wall and hope it sticks. That's it. That's all they're going for. Is there a reasonable doubt? Just one person on that jury has to have a reasonable doubt that there could have been two shooters. couple more items from the last 24 hours in the uh, trial of Alex Murdoch down in South Carolina, accused of murdering his wife, Maggie, and their son, Paul. Um, Jeff Croft is a South Carolina law enforcement investigator, special agent Jeff Croft. Uh, he was on the stand yesterday and this morning. The defense attorneys tried to go after him as essentially, try, it seemed like they were trying to build this argument that uh, investigators had... Uh, had focused on Alex Murdoch from the very beginning that they kind of, uh, they started looking at him on, you know, the first minute that they got there and that's where they focused. And that's why they were, they refused to, uh, to think about any other potential suspects. And then even uh, Dick Harputley and the uh, defense attorney even threw out a couple of names of some women who apparently had made some threats against the Murdoch family after the boat accident that Paul uh, you know, caused by drunk boating, allegedly, and uh, killed uh, his gr- his friend's girlfriend, Mallory Beach. So, uh, which they were being sued over. Well, Alex Murdoch was being sued, the dad, as well as Paul's older brother, Buster, because he was using, uh, or he had given his ID to his younger brother, Paul, and Paul had bought the ID uh, that, that was actually Buster. So, so you got that as a backdrop, right? They're trying to say you guys were focused only on Alex and that wasn't fair. You ignored all of these other potential witnesses. And so I thought this was interesting in case you weren't aware that SLED was, uh, and, and this fellow Jeff Croft says that they start with what they call the circle. In an investigation like this, they start with the circle. And I think, for as, as I understand it, it shall be unbroken by and by. But anyway, the circle includes the victims and then Anybody who was there with the victims, whether, you know, when you show up and there's somebody there, whoever finds them, that's the crime scene. Whoever is there, you're in the circle. And the the dead people and the living person in the circle right there. So then you try to expand the circle out while excluding or, you know, including potential suspects. And so when they talked about the circle moving, it was first Paul, Maggie, and Alex, and what the defense was saying is that, oh, they kept, you know, you kept trying to uh, limit the circle to just Alex. And finally, uh, on redirect, the prosecution was like, how many people were you actually looking at? How big did the circle get? And he said there was hundreds of people. They were, I mean, it just, it expanded exponentially, but the, you're always looking for other suspects and, and exculpatory evidence and the like. And they're just, they just were led to Alex and he, when he could never get outside the circle, essentially. All right, let me get Spencer on. Hello, Spencer. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good. What's up? Um, the difference between the AR-15 300 blackout and the AR-15 
223-556 is a barrel. For the most part, all you have to do is swap out the barrel. And that allows you to the shoot the 300 rather than the others. Yeah, the, the rest of the platform is essentially the same. Right, but I, I just I find it interesting they keep calling it the 300 blackout rather than an AR. Because you wouldn't refer well, to, like, if it was an AR with the two, right, 223, you wouldn't keep calling it 223. Yeah, some people do. I mean, there's a difference between 556 five, and a 223. I understand that, but I, I don't think that most people would call it a 223. I think most people just call it an AR 15. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially in a court proceeding where you're trying to talk to people because, like, I don't know who's on that jury. There may be people on that jury. That have that know nothing about guns, or that may know a lot about guns, right? And yeah, do you alienate but, but. some of them because you're you're using this language in a way that they either don't understand or they think is technically incorrect? But to uh, another point, if he stashed the lost rifle away somewhere, yeah, he could have swapped those barrels quite easily. To have the lost barrel onto the gun that they found. Oh, in the house, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, I guess that's true. I mean, if they were doing some ballistics uh, comparison with the other barrel, but uh, if the gun was found, but if they're not going to find the gun, there's no reason to swap the barrels. Um, well, I'm saying if uh, Murdoch had the thing and said it was lost, right. he had it stashed away somewhere. Right, it would have to be. It, it would have had to have been found for them to then do the ballistics tests on that barrel. No, it could still be lost. Right, but why would he swap the barrels out if he like throws the if he takes the the firearms and he throws them in the bottom of a river? Right, why go through the trouble of swapping out? Especially because he's on a time. He, he's on a deadline. Right, he's got to he's got to get all the, he's got to get himself cleaned up. He's got to move the, his son's truck. He's got to hoof it back. He's got to throw his wife's phone somewhere. He's got to hoof it back, or I guess his son's phone. He's got to hoof it back and then get in his car and get on up to the, his mom's house, hang out there for a little while, drive back, and then discover the scene, quote-unquote, right? So he's on, a, he's on a deadline. So he, he, like, they searched his property. It's pretty big, though, but he, I mean, he searched, they searched his property trying to find the firearms. So however they were disposed of, was obviously pretty well. So I don't know how much time he's got to swap out barrels before he does that. Well, swapping out barrels is quite easily done. You just pop out two pins and right, I, the, whole, the whole upper is off. Right, but it's another task to do after you've just murdered two people, right? And now you're trying to, you're trying to cover up the, the crime. So, like, why go through the trouble of removing barrels... And then leave because I mean, if you're going to swap the barrel out, also you're then leaving that barrel on Buster's gun in the gun room, or are you going to take that one too? No, that one, that one, that one falls into the river in a, a terrible boating accident. So, all right, all right, hang on a second. So you have there are two of these ARs. One is yes. Paul's, and one is Buster's. Paul's was used to shoot uh, his uh, Maggie. Because that's the one that's missing. They know that. They know that that the that Paul's gun is missing. That was the most recently purchased one to replace the one that Paul lost years ago. So this is the most recent one. Buster's uh, 
AR, it was still in the gun room. So they had that one still there. So what what, what barrels are, we, are you saying he could have swapped out? What you're saying there is there are actually three ARs. Correct. Because one was lost and it was replaced by the parents. Correct. There was one that was Buster's or whoever the other one was. Correct. So there are three ARs. Correct. And one of them is outstanding because it was lost. Correct. Take that barrel. What barrel? Of the lost one. That was what lost. I'm saying that- is he might have that lost one stashed somewhere. Take the barrel, put it on the uh, oh. uh, gun, shoot the mother, take it back off, put it back on the lost gun, and dump it in the river. Yeah, I, that's a, yeah. They, that would have been years then in planning because he lo- the, that gun got lost years ago, and it took him a while to replace it with the other with the the latest one. I, I yeah, I don't know. I mean, yes, it's true if you're. If you're going to go through that level of detail and you're going to plan it for that long and, and say you, the gun got lost, that Paul lost the gun when, in fact, he didn't, I guess that's possible. Yeah. 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 Uh, Spencer, I appreciate the call, sir. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. I've got a lot of messages here. Got a lot of messages regarding the uh, the naming of this. Because I, I haven't been able to figure out. Because I've done some searches, I've read some stuff, and I'm, I'm unclear. Why do they keep calling it 300 Blackout and all that? Uh, so uh, this is from Doug, who says uh, they've made reference to this rifle coming from Palmetto State Armory. And uh, at their website, it is referenced as a 300 Blackout, as the rifle is listed as a 300 Blackout, which I have seen as well. Yes, and so that's true, and that's why I don't understand, but that's the ammo. So I don't know why they keep calling it 300 AAC Blackout. So I got a couple more uh, tweets. This is from uh, Opine. Opine. Is that right? What's this? Oh, his pronouns are told you so. Um, <laughs> very nice. 300 AAC blackout is a common and popular round to be used in both AR rifles and AR pistols. Um, okay, so all right, thank you. And But then here we go, Tim, from... Uh, Old Grouch's military surplus. He says it is common to refer to an AR that's in a non-standard caliber as the caliber. So 300 blackout is a caliber that was developed for the AR that could be quieter when used with a suppressor. That is its main appeal. Okay. So in the gun culture, uh, apparently that's what this means that, uh, or sorry, the, the gun community. Um, in the <laughs> in the gun community, uh, it uh, it it is common to refer to a non-standard caliber as the caliber. Okay, so then that also then gets at what the prosecution was talking with the uh, uh, the sled agent Jeff Croft about was: is this a common caliber? And he was saying no. And he mentioned that what two twenty three and whatever the five five six. He said like these are the these are more common. And then he was asked why are they more common. And what are they used for? And he talked a little bit about that. And um, and then there's this. uh, Thank you for this. It's uh, the last six months on Twitter. It's a Pete tweet. It says, Pete, you are legally allowed to gift a firearm to an immediate family member. So thank you. That does does make sense. Um, Russ says, Pete, when I listen to the Murdoch statement with the AirPods, I hear... I did him so bad, but when I, uh, li- but when I uh, when I listen through the speakers, I hear they did it so did him so bad. It's like the Yanni or Laurel all over again, 
Right, it's like the white dress, blue dress. Which is it? What do you see? Um, do, 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 do. There was something else. There was something else. Uh, Alex says he... Oh, here we go. In the initial interview... Sorry. maybe It could have been one or the, the first or the second. In one of the interviews with SLED, Alex Murdoch told the agents that he and his son Paul... They were driving around the property. They were looking at some sunflowers or something, and uh, they were looking at some trees that were planted that were kind of all growing weird, and off to the side they had fallen over, and they were uh, they were just, you know, palling around and having fun. And then at one point they go off and they, they shoot a twenty two caliber, uh, I don't actually know if it was a rifle or a handgun, but they go off and they they take a couple shots uh, up at the shooting range or whatever, and it was a twenty two caliber. And Alex said at the time that he shot it once and Paul shot it twice. Might that explain the gunshot residue that may be on his shirt? Remember, they said they found some GSR on his shirt. Might that explain it? I don't know. We're going to find out. I'm just like, I just, I pick up on these little things that as they get dropped in the course of the, the questioning, and I just wonder, is the prosecution or the defense going to tie something back? Because if you're if you're at the trial, you're the attorney, right? You don't want to show your hand. You don't want to focus on something. And this, by the way, throws a lot of people watching jury trials, is it'll throw people because they think that the defense is focusing a whole lot on this one thing. And, th- and they may want the jury to focus on that, but they also might want the jury to focus on that because it's actually not really relevant and they're trying to get the prosecution to overreact and to uh, and to focus on rebutting whatever's going on there and spend a lot of time in the weeds on this other issue that really didn't have anything to do with anything, but you're doing it because you want to then spring a trap on something else or you want to deflect attention from this other piece of evidence that's way more incriminating, right? So there are all sorts of tactics going on here. Uh, Tara, welcome to the show. Hey, Tara, how are you? Hey, Pete, can you hear me? Yes, I sure can. Okay. So, here's the dealio. He planned this for weeks. You look back on his phone record. I was an investigator. Look back. He never talked to his son like this. He never talked to his wife like this. He pulled his wife in there. That, 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 that rifle thing and all that gun stuff, whoever knows that, my brother-in-law does, I don't know. I think it be, can be done extremely easily. But he set this up so well. Who, who would benefit from both of those being dead except Alec Murdoch? Well, yeah, there are definitely, I mean, yeah, when, when looking at theories of cases, yes, that's one of the primary questions yeah. you ask is who benefits from this person being dead? Now, there's, yeah. an, right, there's another piece uh, I see that uh, they, they mentioned today about a, uh, a receipt, a credit card statement, rather, uh, that the sled agent had found, and there was a circled charge on that credit card statement that was apparently like in the trash or something. Um, he found an empty box of 12 gauge shotgun ammo and this credit card statement. And on the statement, one of the items circled was a, like a thousand dollar purchase at Gucci. So, was this crime of passion murder though? I don't know. I don't know if that's relevant, but they they pointed yeah. it out today at the trial. Ten? It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with you don't know that because my wife's going to divorce me. That's you know, possible. My ridiculous is not going to show up. My son Paul's a 
pain in my rear end. Yeah. I'm going to leave Buster the money. I'm just saying. All right. Well, I got to run. I got Tara. I got to run. I got to run. I appreciate the call. We'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone. <laughs>